Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Parkland Corporation's Q3 2020 results conference call. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you require assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on Wednesday, November 4, 2020. I'd now like to turn the conference over to Brad Monaco, Director of Capital Markets for Parkland. Please go ahead. Thank you. With me today on the call are Bob Espy, President and CEO, Darren Smart, Senior Vice President, Corporate Development and Interim CFO, and Dirk Lieber, VP Capital Markets. This call is webcast and I encourage listeners to follow along with the supporting slides. We will go through our prepared remarks and open it up for questions from the investment community. Please limit yourself to one question and a follow-up as necessary. And if you have other questions, re-enter the queue. We would ask analysts to follow up directly with the Capital Markets team afterwards for any detailed modeling type questions. During our call today, we may make forward-looking statements related to expected future performance. These statements are based on current views and assumptions and are subject to uncertainties which are difficult to predict. These uncertainties include, but are not limited to, expected operating results and industry conditions, among other factors. Risk factors applicable to our business and are set out in our annual information form and management discussion and analysis. We will also be discussing non-GAAP measures which do not have any standardized meanings prescribed by GAAP. These measures are identified and defined in Parkland's continuous disclosure documents which are available on our website or CDAR. Please refer to those documents as they identify factors which may cause actual results to differ materially from any forward-looking state. Dollar amounts discussed in today's call are expressed in Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. I'll now turn it over to Bob. Thank you, Brad, and good morning. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy, and we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. We announced exceptional results with record third quarter adjusted EBITDA of $338 million. Over the past nine months, we have had the opportunity to put our business model to the test and we are very proud of our team's performance. The resilience and flexibility of the business, coupled with our customer-focused cultures, have enabled our team to continue to deliver through a volatile period. Our convenience business performed exceptionally well, highlighting the quality of our customer offer and the strength of our regional brand. Additionally, our commercial operations across all regions have continued to win new business. This forms part of a larger trend across our enterprise of strong sales growth and further demonstrates our ability to grow organically through a challenging economy. When we spoke last in August, we were seeing encouraging volume recovery across our operations. This trend continued through the quarter. And while we still saw the impacts from COVID, our geographic and product diversity and strong local brands returned our overall growth to, its five, to within 5% of the prior year. A combination of robust fuel and non-fuel margins coupled, coupled with our deliberate and sustained cost reduction measures more than offset lower volumes and helped deliver a record third quarter. Cash from operations once again fully funded our growth and maintenance capital expenditures cash dividends, acquisitions, and lowered our debt. Our strong cash, cash flow gives us tremendous financial flexibility as we advance our growth strategy organically and through potential acquisitions. The strength of our convenience store model was on display again in Q3 as we delivered our 19th consecutive quarter of C-store same-store sales growth in Canada. Our team has quickly identified changing consumer preferences, optimized our product offering, and executed consistently. Journey Rewards, our Canadian loyalty program, continues to build momentum, exceeding 1 million members in the third quarter. Early promotional activity 
has driven strong member engagement, reinforcing the value of the program. Our supply segment demonstrated strong recovery in the quarter as we experienced our first full quarter in 2020 of operations at the Burnaby Refinery with utilization of 90%. The refinery operated reliably in Q3 with no unplanned maintenance, robust local demand, and strong fiscal sales, all of which set us apart from others with refining exposure. Lastly, I'm proud of our inaugural sustainability report, which marks an exciting milestone for our organization. While sustainability practices are already deeply embedded throughout our business, this report is a natural step in our sustainability journey. Our board and management team are fully engaged in this activity, and we are focused on further embedding sustainability practices into our strategic decision-making and capturing opportunities to grow our participation in the low-carbon economy. We have highlighted some of the key initiatives from our report on slide four, including the co-processing of renewable feedstocks at our Burnaby refinery. We hit an impressive milestone in September, co-processing over 40,000 barrels of renewable feedstocks, our highest months on record. We also improved our biofeedstock supply chain capabilities through increased rail and wharf optionality. We can leverage our infrastructure optionality at Burnaby to optimize the type and economics of the biofeedstock we bring in. Our work on sustainability does not stop with the release of our inaugural report. The team is focused on establishing our baseline emissions data, which will provide a meaningful basis for future targets. I'll now pass over to Darren to go through the corporate financial results. Over to you, Darren. Great, thanks Bob and good morning everyone. Turning to slide five, uh, we delivered adjusted EBITDA of 338 million for the quarter compared to 302 million last year. Our combined marketing segments in Canada, USA and international increased adjusted EBITDA by 24% as strong fuel and non-fuel margins more than offset slightly lower year over year volumes. In addition, we benefited from sustained cost savings through initiatives taken early in the pandemic and remain confident we can retain annual run rate savings of between 50 and $70 million. Our supply segment was marginally lower than the prior year. However, we are extremely pleased with the results given global refining dynamics. In Q3, the team delivered a 90% utilization rate at the Burnaby Refinery, which we believe is one of the highest utilization rates in North America and allowed us to run efficiently. Turning to page six, uh, maintaining balance sheet strength and financial flexibility are paramount to our strategy. This focus on the balance sheet has continued through the pandemic uh, and we are well positioned to manage through any further uncertainty, grow our base business, and capture the right acquisition opportunities. As always, we will exercise strict financial discipline in evaluating potential opportunities and must see a clear path to value creation. Total net funded debt decreased by 85 million from Q2 to Q3 2020. And cash generated by the business in 2020 has funded growth and maintenance capex, acquisitions and cash dividends. Our total funded debt to credit facility EBITDA ratio was 2.6 times, which is around the middle of our target range for normal operations and down slightly from Q2. When coupled with our 1.6 billion of liquidity, we have ample flexibility to execute our disciplined growth strategy. I'll now turn it back to Bob to discuss the segment performance. Thanks, Darren. I'll start with Canada on slide seven. The team did a great job and delivered adjusted to have 128 million, which is up by 23% compared to last year. While volumes were still 8% behind prior year due to COVID-19, they continued to recover through the quarter, driven by increased traffic and economic activity 
personal vehicle use and domestic tourism. We've also grown market share in retail, which is a testament to our fuel and convenience brand propositions and the quality of our sites. Importantly, and demonstrating the resilience of our business, the combination of strong unit margins and our proactive cost control measures more than offset the impact of lower volumes. Our ability to flex our cost structure plus our dynamic pricing capabilities helps insulated us from localized demand fluctuations as we manage through COVID-19. Our convenience store channel delivered its 19th consecutive quarter of C-store same-store sales growth of 10.7%, with most major categories contributing to this growth. This is a remarkable accomplishment, which highlights the execution capabilities of our team our compelling customer value propositions and our ability to quickly adapt to and anticipate changing customer needs. More broadly, safety measures have increased in priority for customers who are deciding where to stop. And we believe the convenience model and our C-Store proposition is well positioned for that. Consistent with our focus on driving customer loyalty and only three months after we completed our national rollout, we passed a major milestone with our journey loyalty program as we exceeded 1 million members in the third quarter. Early promotional activity has driven strong member engagement and our partnership with CIBC is delivering increased cardholder penetration. Journey provides a powerful platform for us to deliver highly targeted customer offers, increased engagement and satisfaction. We are very pleased with early performance and in the intermediate term remain focused on member acquisition and program refinement. For our international operations on slide eight, we delivered adjusted EBIT of 77 million, an increase of 14 million compared to last year. As a, at a high level, this was driven by exceptional supply performance, which included shipping fleet optimization and routing efficiencies and a robust base business. Supported by continued cost control initiatives, our combined operating costs in MGA were 20% lower than Q3 2019. Going forward, these efficiencies will help insulate us from potential COVID-19 restrictions. We continue to see the benefit of our geographic and product diversity in the quarter. For example, more diversified economies like Puerto Rico continue to perform well and marine bunkering, bunkering and power supply volumes helped offset declines in aviation. We remain cautious on the outlook for tourism heading into late Q4 and anticipate the recovery will be tempered until COVID-19 restrictions are lifted. Our base business is performing ahead of expectations and our teams continue to demonstrate their ability to win new business and add volume through the pandemic. We continue to see LPG as a growth opportunity in the region having benefited from supply and wholesale wins in Q3. You will see on the slide, we upgraded our dedicated LBG vessel to a more modern ship, which has resulted in shipping efficiencies and charter cost savings. The underlying growth from these initiatives helped offset continued COVID-19 impact. Turning to slide nine, like our other segments, the geographic and product diversity in our U.S. business shone through. Our U.S. segment delivered third quarter adjusted EBITDA of $23 million, reflecting organic growth, the impact of acquisition, and strong per-unit fuel and non-fuel margins despite COVID-19 volume impact. We continue to capture the benefits of our local scale, which resulted in additional buying power on the supply side and strengthened our ability to successfully bid on and win new national account business. As mentioned last quarter, a steady stream of new customers is the lifeblood of any healthy business. And I'm delighted to share that our team added over 60 million liters of annualized fuel volume amongst our regional operating centers. This is a fantastic result, which highlights the new business focus and capabilities of our team. Setting the stage for a broader retail growth strategy in the U.S. and the creation of a unified North American backport brand, we acquired the perpetual license for on the run across the U.S. This is an exciting springboard for continued organic retail growth 
as our existing U.S. retail business was getting to the size where having a unified offer was the logical next step. The license acquisition will help us capture efficiencies and leverage an already existing established brand. Furthermore, we are excited about what it can do for the organic dealer operations and as a scalable convenience retail foundation for future acquisitions. Finally, turning to supply, to supply on slide 10, we delivered 122 million of adjusted EBITDA in Q3. While we recognize the challenges facing refineries across North America, the strategic benefits and cash flow generation, generating ability of our Burnaby asset remains strong. We are particularly proud of our team's ability to operate reliably through the third quarter and successfully market distally, which underpinned a 90% utilization for Q3. We believe this was among the highest utilization rates in North America. The global reduction in distillate demand primarily for jet fuel has resulted in an oversupply of distillate and a resulting decrease in most refining run rates in North America. Our team's ability to successfully market diesel and jet has allowed our refinery to run more efficiently and capture additional refining margins. On to slide 11, our capital expenditures remain on track relative to guidance with initiatives focused on high return Canadian retail investments and advancing our supply capability across all areas of operation. I'll touch on some of this in the following slide. There's no change to our capital 2020 expenditures forecast. On slide 12, to conclude, we are delighted with our performance here to date and are highly confident that whatever lies ahead, we are well positioned to thrive. We will continue to exercise strict financial discipline to maintain a strong balance sheet, advance our organic growth strategy, and carefully, and carefully select acquisition. In all scenarios, our goal is to deliver shareholder value. The acquisition market has heated up since we last spoke, and our team is actively assessing opportunities, which we believe we can add value to. As always, we remain, we remain highly selective. We also have a lot of exciting organic growth options. Not only have we revived our retail investments and new sites rebuilt and rebranded, but also we continue to pursue highly high-quality infrastructure projects to increase supply optionality increased margins, and the breadth of our wholesale operation. Our collaboration with Amazon Web Services continues to progress, leveraging cutting-edge technology to drive efficiency, enhancing our pricing capabilities, and generating C-store and customer loyalty insights. In the coming months, we will accelerate these efforts and advance our store of the future concepts, all with the goal of improving our customer value proposition through innovation. I referenced our U.S. on-the-run expansion earlier. We will pilot the U.S. concept in early 2021, leveraging our, ex our existing expertise with the brand, but tailored to the difference in the U.S. retail market. As I said on our last two calls, the resilience and flexibility of our business has driven tremendous performance through these challenging times. I believe we, will, we are well positioned for a strong end of the year and to excel in 2021. We remain focused on growth, and the team continues to execute remarkably well. Thanks to the entire Parkland team for an amazing quarter and a continued focus on safe and reliable operations while continuing to provide the support to our customers and communities. Once again, thank you, and we will now open the line for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin. In the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Your first question comes from Ben Isaacson with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Thank you, and good morning, and congrats on the great quarter. Um, ju just a couple questions, if I may. Uh, your operating and MG&A expenses went down 47 million year over year. 
in Q3. Can you just run through um, your cost-cutting efforts that you've uh, outlined since COVID, and kind of where are you, and, and have you uncovered um, any new uh, cost-cutting opportunities? Yeah, hi, Ben. It's Rob Espy, and, and thanks for the question. Um, you know, our 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 costs. Um, you know, when we look at our costs. The, uh, certainly on our MGNA, we were able to reduce a lot of the discretionary costs that uh, um, we had in our budget. And also, um, you know, we did make some um, structural changes in the business that allow us to capture a portion of that going forward. On the operating side, um, you know, we are fortunate that we have, uh, um, you know, a highly variable cost base and we continue to see the positive impact of that uh, in the quarter as, as we progress through and volumes have been somewhat under where they were last year. Um, thank you for that. And then my, my second and follow-up question uh, is a two-parter in the U.S. Um, first, can you talk about uh, different outcomes in the U.S. election? Uh, could there be any um, uh, different impacts for your U.S. business? And then as part of the U.S., also, you talked about um, M&A opportunities are heating up. Are you seeing, since COVID, um, multiple uh, changes, uh, size of opportunities, regional opportunities are shifting somewhere else? Can you just kind of add some more color in terms of what you're seeing in the M&A market? Thank you. Yeah, um, you know, on your first question, I think independent of the uh, outcome of the election, we still see the U.S. market as highly attractive, highly fragmented, and our, our business pieces there remains intact. Um, you know, we like uh, we like the markets that we're in. Um, you know, we've seen some good growth in those markets, and you know, most importantly, we have a we have a, a great team that really focuses on servicing customers and supporting their local communities. And we want to continue to grow and invest in that business independent of the outcome of the election. Um, you know, in terms of the M&A opportunity, again, our, our, our growth thesis there remains intact. You know, the market is still highly fragmented and we are seeing opportunities to, to, to buy some great businesses that we can fold into our platform. You know, as always, we remain disciplined in the M&A process and, you know, look for good quality assets with great teams. Your next question comes from Luke Davis with RBC. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, thanks for thanks for taking my question. Um, we've been getting a, a fair amount of questions on the international segment just as we head into um, you know what would normally be a peak travel season, as well as kind of a resurgence in COVID cases globally. Uh, I know you've provided a, a rough split on retail, commercial, and supply in the past. Can you um, refresh that breakdown and then? Um, provide a bit of detail on, on what you've been seeing in terms of base demand, uh, kind of local tourism, and uh, commercial activity in the area. Yeah, hi, hi Luke. It's Bob Espy, and, and thanks for the question. Um, you know, I, I think we provided a breakdown when we initially bought the business. Um, you know, we haven't uh, disclosed or broken it down further since. Um, you know, what we would say, consistent to what we've communicated in the past, you know, we've seen some segments of the business perform um, exceptionally strong and, uh, you know, others where we have had an offset due to, um, you know, reduced uh, tourism. You know, I would say, um, you know, it's, it's like like all of our businesses, the international business has is diversified and has many product lines and we continue to see the benefit of that not only in international, but across our business, because we're not beholden to any one on sector or segment. Um, you know, the other thing is geographic. Um, the geographical um, diversification has really helped. Um, you know, some of the some of the highlights from that area are we continue to win in markets that are more driven or, or levered towards natural resources, you know, such as Guyana and Suriname, where we picked up major accounts. Uh, we continue to uh, gain market share in the uh, power generation market, where our team has continued to, to win, um, you know, large commercial contracts in that space. 
um, on our on our diesel and propane business. We've had a lot of good local wins within markets, and you know that has that and a, uh, an intense focus on cost has helped offset some of the pending shortfall or some of the shortfall in tourism that uh, that we've seen in the market. So again, you know, not not one item, but many. Um, you know, the other item is our supply business there. Um, you know, the team has made some really uh, good adjustments on the distribution side and optimizing our, our fleet of ships and, uh, and then also continues to to, to look for opportunities in the market to buy well when we continue to see that flow through the results. So, so again, many, you know, many great uh, um, um, activities there that have helped shore up, uh, you know, part of the reduction in tourism. Thanks. That's uh, that's really helpful. Just a, a quick uh, follow up, if if I may. Um, margins were also, you know, very strong. Can you can you remind me roughly how much of the international segment is, is regulated from a margin perspective, and um, maybe just kind of outline the key drivers for that outperformance during Q3? Yeah, you know, roughly roughly half the markets that we're marketing into um, on on the retail side are regulated. Um, you know, again, we've got many different product lines that are that are in those markets, um, and you know, again, a lot of the margin improvement has happened on the supply side of the business, where we've been able to leverage our distribution and supply capabilities to to um, um, you know buy well in the marketplace. That's great. Thanks very much, Bob. Your next question comes from John Royale with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, on Burnaby, can you uh, talk through a little bit the 90% utilization rates? Um, this is, as you guys mentioned, a, a good deal higher than the industry in North America, and I know you gave uh, some color and called out diesel and jet, but just um, hoping you can dig in a little on the refinery and how it's been so unique in this environment. Um, hi, John, and, and, and good question. The, you know, again, um, you know, I do commend the team there on being able to move, particularly jet and diesel, because that is really the uh, the key item that, that, you know, others have had constraints with. And, um, you know, we've been fortunate that uh, our team has been able to place that into the local market or adjacent markets uh, and, and, and sell it. So, so some good work there by our, our optimization team and our sales team to, to, to place that product in the market and, and allow the team in the refinery to, to operate safely and reliably. You know, the other thing is we have seen gasoline demand, you know, particularly in Western Canada has been quite, uh, you know, it's probably been the strongest in Canada where, you know, we've been the least impacted by, by COVID um, and, you know the uh, um, the slowdowns that happen in the marketplace. So those things combined helped us maintain a high utilization rate through the quarter. Great, thank you. And then um, on the Canada retail side, um, your inside the store comps were up double digits uh, the second quarter in a row, um, but you were also up about 500 basis points on the non-fuel gross margin percentage. Um, so can you talk about the mix effects in that category? I know uh, tobacco and lotto strength uh, drove that margin down a little bit in 2Q, but it seems like that's come back somewhat. Yeah, so that, that non-fuel component has our convenience and also our commercial non-fuel. So it's not just purely convenience, that's uh, that margin that you see. Um, you know, I would highlight that we do continue to see good growth in the segment and you know look that's that's a number of different factors. You know, one is we continue to see the benefits of the rebranding of on the run in key locations. Uh, you know, we continue to see the benefits of some of the capital we put in in twenty nineteen as those sites gain traction and uh, you know start to grow within the market. And uh, we continue to see the benefits of our 
efforts of our category management team, which is optimizing the offer to suit some of the changes that we've seen uh, that are COVID-driven, where people are, are using the convenience segment as a way to supplement their their weekly or online buying with uh, with items that they uh, have run short on. So. Great, thank you very much. Your next question comes from Steve Hansen with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Oh, yes, good morning, guys. Uh, question on the journey program. You've surpassed the 1 million member mark. That's that's an obvious and, and notable milestone here. Just curious if you'd be willing to share a target for your membership over the next one to two years, given the strong take-up you've seen thus far, and, and maybe just some additional metrics if you've got any around, uh, you know, again, the, the wallet size benefits you've been seeing and or, you know, any additional sort of obvious milestones you're seeing that you're tracking on a KPI perspective. Yeah, thanks, Steve, and, and you know, appreciate your uh, continued usage of the Journey program. I, I love the report that you wrote on that. It was quite insightful. Um, you know, the uh, um, I would say, first of all, look, we're we're delighted with the growth, and again, particularly in a in an environment where we put the brakes on for a few months, and uh, we really did only ramp our promotional. Uh, activity here towards the back end of the quarter. So very delighted with the uptake. And again, speaks to the strength of the program and our operations team and in engaging customers to uh, to, um, to to participate. You know, in terms of our, our targets, you know, I, uh, you know, the growth rate is is certainly um, you know we're we're delighted with it. Um, you know, I would say our target is as big as we can get, right? I, I, you know, we we service uh, millions of Canadians and uh, and expect to see that continue to to grow quite uh, quite dramatically, you know, provided that the growth rate continues here. Um, you know, there certainly is a scenario where, you know, I I believe over over time, you know, we should be able to get into the to 4 million Canadians participating in this program. Um, you know, some of the, we, we are seeing very positive uh, results. And again, these are all early days uh, in terms of the program, you know, as we gather data, but we're certainly seeing key sort of basket size, uh, trip frequency um, starting to increase, um, and also average bill size um, go up uh, quite dramatically as, as consumers uh, um, get used to the program and get used to using it. So, and then also, you know, I would like to highlight our um, partnership with CIBC. You know, they've been a great partner here where uh, we've been able to connect uh, our journey program to folks that have a CIBC um, credit card, you know, myself being one of them. And uh, the team has done a lot of work in the last quarter to really simplify that 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 uh, linkage process. And as a result, we're continuing to see the number of linked cards climb uh, quite quickly. And you know, we do see a, a material increase in the share of fuel spend with the linked cards. So again, very delighted with the progress and the outcome. And, and certainly, you know, if we project forward, this will have a uh, a very positive impact on our, our sales. I appreciate the caller. Thanks. Your next question comes from Michael Van Elst with TD. Please go ahead. Thanks. You've covered some of it, but on the fuel margins, um, they've obviously been very strong, particularly in Canada and international. But can you, to the best of your ability, um, try to separate how much of this you think is temporary because the market is adjusting to lower volumes and how much of this you think is um, business mix related and supply procurement efforts made by Parkland and, and, and a sustainable longer term? Yeah, you know, uh, first of all, on the pricing side, you know, very difficult to predict. You know, uh, again, you know, we need to Price competitively in the marketplace and make sure we deliver the best value to consumers. 
and you know we're committed to do that. Um, on the uh, um, you know supply side, it is captured in various areas of our business. Um, you know on the U.S. and international side, we do have an integrated margin there, and uh, in Canada we isolate that into our supply group. Um, you know again we continue our our supply team continues to improve our supply economics through um, you know, partnering with our refining uh, partners to, to optimize value, um, arbitrage within the marketplace, so leveraging our distribution and storage assets in local markets to move products around and take advantage of location ar arbitrage. And then, um, you know, and then the third thing is making sure that we always have product for our customers, which we uh, see as an ongoing advantage of, of the parkland system. The other item that we've done, uh, Michael, is, um, you know, as we've said, we've, we've, we've made some investment in our digital capability and analytics, and, and that's really helped us across both our, our uh, you know, customer or consumer-facing side of the business, but also on the supply side. You know, we continue to get better at uh, uh, taking the data and analyzing it and making sure we're optimizing um, you know, locally, but across the system, you know, when we connect it in with our our demand management and our supply, making sure that those are connected to optimize across the entire value chain. And uh, and again, you know, those, you know, I think we're all at Parkland delighted with the outcome of that investment and, and see, you know, some very quick payback to uh, to those initiatives. That's helpful. Thank you. And just just to follow up on the journey program, um, yeah, I can only imagine it, it, it's helping on your same source sales. But to, how clear is that relationship between the rising um, journey membership count numbers and the acceleration in the same source sales that you had in the first from first half to into Q3? Is that something that you could monitor through the data and, and see that you know the the, the membership is driving the higher pace of same store sales. Yeah, look, I mean it's cer certainly something that we can see, and, and you know we've started to quantify, it, um, you know the the incremental basket size, which we can correlate to frequency of visits and ultimately how that drives same store. And we are seeing a positive impact. You know, I, I think we'd like to see the the program mature um, a little further. Um, but, but, you know, that's something that at some point will provide some more clarity on, you know, again, as the program matures and we get, uh, you know, a, a couple more cycles here of seeing the benefits and, and you know, our confidence that that, that trend persists. Yeah, thank you. And just finally on the refinery, um, at the uh, on the Q2 call, you, you guys said that the Refinery is running around 80 to 85 percent utilization, and you finished just over 90. So, uh, I'm assuming that you, you exited Q3 and entered Q4 at a rate that was north of 90 percent. And and it sounds like you're. You know, would it be fair to say that you're comfortable that you'll be able to hit that 90, at least the 91 and a half percent that you utilization that you you did last year in Q4? You know, I I would say if the current demands persist. That should certainly be a um, achievable number here as we go into this quarter, and you know we are continuing to see that sort of utilization uh, of, of the asset. You know, I'd also highlight, you know, that that this quarter is sort of the the first quarter in 2020 where you do see the full impact of the refinery, and because you know the, the prior two quarters we were in turnaround. And, and so, you know, I would say uh, we're delighted with the with the ability of the team to to uh, keep a high utilization rate and capture the economics that they have. Great, thanks, Bob. Your next question comes from Kevin Chang with CIBC. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, good morning, and thanks for uh, thanks for taking my question. Uh, if I could just turn to maybe my first question, if I could just turn to the international segment, if I just look at your Q3 results versus 
your Q2 results. Uh, you know, volumes are down a little bit, uh, but EBITDA was was obviously much higher sequentially. Even if I back out the the one one time supply gain, I'm trying to get a sense of you know pre pandemic. There's a lot of synergy capture opportunities within international, and, and I guess things have gotten noisy here given given some of the end market um, volatility, but you know, how is that synergy capture uh, coming along here? Are, are, you, are, are you still on target to, to, I think, hit over 40 million kind of within the next year or so? Or, or, or are those plan, have those plans been accelerated given some of the cost cutting you've done and some of the efficiencies you've found during this pandemic? Um, just be interested in knowing kind of some of the drivers here within the international earnings growth. Yeah. Hi, Kevin, and, and, and good question. Appreciate it. You know, I would say the, you know, first of all, the pandemic did force us to review our cost base across the business. And again, you know, we benefited from moving decisively and quickly here across the business, including our international business. And also, you know, similar to our, our, our North American business, our, our international business does benefit from a variable cost base on the operating side. So we continue to see the benefit of that. You know, in terms of, uh, um, you know, has this accelerated our synergy capture? You know, I would say our synergy capture is on track. Um, you know, we, we you know, the, the pandemic did force us to, operate, to push a little quicker on the, on the cost side. Um, but, you know, we continue to make very good progress it's gone uh, against the base assumptions we put in. You know, again, unfortunately, because of the slowdown in COVID, you know, some of that is, has, um, you know, been absorbed by the slowdown in the business. Um, you know, tough to say how that'll, how, how that will um, manifest itself in next year. I mean, again, we do continue to see the business perform well. Um, you know, we continue to see the team there uh, look for alternative uh, sources of gross profit, which they've done admirably. And uh, we continue to make great progress on, you know, particularly the supply and distribution side and continually optimizing that and, and improving the opportunities in, in, in that side of the business. So, so again, you know, delighted with the progress. Um, you know, certainly a large part of that is what we did plan. You know, we're seeing some of that a bit earlier, but again, the headwind there is uh, the economic slowdown. That's a uh, that's very helpful color. And maybe just my second question. Um, I mean, obviously Q3 was was, was strong. You, you, as you mentioned in your prepared remarks, you kept your capital envelope unchanged from what you had guided to in Q2. And, and just wondering, just given just given the the, the resiliency in earnings, um, the fact that you're holding capex unchanged, you know, j just wondering if that if that reflects maybe a medium-term change in how you think about your capital allocation, whether you know whether you're you're prioritizing deleveraging more or does the M&A pipeline look a little bit more robust here? Um, you, you have the you have the put call option with with the Sol uh, minority stake you don't own. Are, are are you are you creating some balance sheet room for that? Um, you know, just any color in terms of how you think about that capital allocation over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, certainly, Kevin. And I'll, I'll we'll split that into two questions. So I'll take the first part, you know, talking about our capital and spend, and then Darren can comment on the balance sheet. Um, you know, in terms of our, our capital, um, you know, uh, going forward, certainly we are ramping up again and, and looking both organically on our, and on the M&A side. And, and we do see some good prospects in both those areas. You know, there is a lead time and, you know, certainly, um, you know, with some of our, um, you know, more Northern growth CapEx, you get into winter and it's hard to deploy that. So it pushes a lot of the stuff in the next year. So, you know, we will start to see and have started to see some, some opportunities that we're executing again. You know, on the maintenance CapEx, we did cut back this year you know, we next year we will have to do some catch up uh, to make sure that we, uh, you know, don't uh, um, run our assets uh, uh, to a point where we can't service our customers. Um, but you know, our intent is to get that fully back on track next year across uh, across the business. So you will see capital come up. Um, you know, we have. Uh, that has been a benefit to the balance sheet, and I'll, I'll let Darren talk about the balance sheet. 
Yeah, great. Thanks, Bob. Uh, and on the balance sheet, I, we're really pleased with um, you know how um, how leverage has come in. Um, you know, may remain very steady here this quarter, down slightly. Uh, in a quarter where we didn't you know, have significant M&A, we, we did repay uh, about 85 million of net debt, um, which is um, which is a great uh, thing to be able to do. Uh, but we, you know, we're very comfortable with where we are on our overall leverage, uh, and we have lots of flexibility and lots of liquidity uh, to be able to fund um, our growth, uh, both M&A and organic, and you know continue to be very uh, disciplined in looking at those opportunities and ensuring that we're um, we're, we're getting the value uh, from those investments. But uh, we're in a really great shape on the balance sheet. That makes sense. Thanks for taking my questions. Congrats on a good quarter there. Your next question comes from David Newman with Desjardins. Please go ahead. Good morning, gents. Uh, remarkable uh, quarter. Just a, just a couple of questions. First of all, I, digging a little bit deeper into, into the U.S., which has really stood out for the last couple of quarters here, it does seem like you're really leveraging your supply advantage down into the U.S. and really starting to get some good traction there and negotiating better rack prices uh, overall and, and scaling the U.S. operations. So I guess my question is, you know, how much leverage are you seeing? How much is the scale helping you out in negotiating better procurement deals? And, you know, obviously that's a good setup for future M&A as well. Hi, David, and, and, and thanks. Hi, Bob. Uh, um, yeah, look, our, our U.S. business, look, we're delighted with the performance down there. And, and what we've seen is that, uh, you know, we set up these regional operating centers and, and you know, again, the teams there can focus on, on the local markets, which are, are, are fairly large, right? I mean, these are large markets, and uh, we've been able to start to build scale in those markets so that we can work the supply and you know the supply is a number of different weavers that the team there pulls you know again first and foremost it's partnering with the right refiner and you know finding uh, value that works for both of us and we've been able to uh, the, the team there has been able to develop some strong relationships with some key refiners in the market you know, the second thing again is, is leveraging our distribution fleet, which gets bigger, you know, with every acquisition. And in that market, it's mainly a truck-based fleet. Um, and again, you know, the team's ability to shift, uh, you know, uh, between various uh, um, suppliers in the market quickly is, is part of the success. And then the third element is we do continue to supply that market with length out of Canada both on the diesel and gasoline side. We do have uh, terminals, rail offloads, rail to truck terminals in key markets that we continue to leverage. And that also helps us uh, uh, make sure that we uh, have the best best supply in those markets. So, so again, scale. And then the more scale we put on top of that, you know, the, the, the better benefit we get. And we continue to see that with the acquisitions, you know, as we continue to grow, we, we did announce some acquisitions earlier this year and continue to see uh, a similar trend in that market where it's continuing to consolidate and, and you know, we're certainly seeing some good opportunities. Okay, and then second question is, is just on the M&A side, further to Kevin's question on capital allocation, you've got obviously a looming, um, you know, buy in the remainder of Saul. I think you, it's early 2022 that you can do that. To the extent that you're, you know, investing in growth capital and and looking at M&A, et cetera, and you've got a great balance sheet, uh, obviously at this juncture, um, does it hold you? Do you, do you hold some back on M&A in the U.S. a little bit and kind of densify the mark rocks that you're in today and, and and keep your powder dry for the for the stub of salt that you don't own? So in other words, does that keep you keep you a little bit in check on M&A for next year? Hi, it's Darren Smart here, and thanks for the question. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, one of the the, the uh, you know dynamics that does play out as we uh, acquire in the U.S. is you know we're able to acquire EBITDA at the same time, uh, and so uh, we don't 
you know, uh, materially increase our leverage, you know, as we buy lots of these, you know, uh, small to medium-sized businesses. So, you know, as we look out, we think we've got uh, lots of balance sheet capacity to be able to continue to, you know, pursue the, the U.S. opportunities and, and as well uh, to be prepared for, uh, uh, for uh, the uh, uh, purchase of the remaining SOL uh, stake. Okay, and any change in valuation metrics in the U.S.? Have, have guys become a little bit more desperate amid uh, COVID to potentially sell it at, at a really reasonable multiples? I think valuation uh, in the U.S. has remained pretty consistent uh, with uh, before the pandemic. Uh, the sector has been quite resilient, uh, and uh, uh, you know we're seeing very similar um, uh, you know valuations out there and some businesses that have really held up well. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Great quarter. Thank you. Your next question comes from Peter. Galar with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. I'm trying to better understand the relationship between your fixed and variable cost structure. So the, the 47 million of costs that you took out, which I believe were largely marketing and general administrative costs, like if you had done nothing in terms of attacking your cost structure, how much of that 47 million do you think you would have captured uh, just from lower volume. So what I'm really trying to drive at is how much of that 47 million is purely variable and uh, you know related to leaders. Do you have a, a feel for that at all? Hi, hi, Peter. It's Bob Espy. You know, I, I don't have uh, a feel for that in terms of uh, an exact number. You know, let us let's get back to you on Okay. Um, on the the uh, international division. Could you explain what that one-time gain was, the, the 10 million? Yeah, no, for sure. Let me just go back to your previous question. So, you know, I, I think on a sustainable basis, we telegraphed that, you know, we, we believe there's 50 to 70 million of cost saving uh, annually that, uh, you know, we've been able to, to work into the business through this. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. And that's, that's a mix of OPEX and, you know. Okay. Um, and then on the international division, the, the 10 million gain, could you explain what that is? Yeah. I mean, look, that's just the, the team there um, was able to buy some product in uh, previous quarters um, when prices were very low. And uh, as demand picked up, we're able to push that into the marketplace and we're able to get a benefit on the, uh, the, the difference in the price. Okay. And also on the international division, you talked about like you won some contracts in, in power generation. So um, when you're bidding on contracts like that, is it, is it purely on price and why are you able to bid stronger than others on price or are there other um, factors that you know uh, uh, power generators look at you know strictly aside from price um, you know it it, it it does tend to be very price driven although uh, you know I would say one of the things that's helped us you know particularly having our own fleet in, in the Caribbean is being able to optimize around the, um, the delivery and uh, you know our, our logistics advantage is ha is been able to has enabled us to have a, a price advantage but but you know we can still um, you know we, we can still get some good uh, gross profit out of these contracts. Okay. And then lastly, just on the, uh, in the U.S. M&A landscape, you know, with the Speedway transaction put to bed, uh, two questions. Do you, like, do you feel that that's changed? Like, has that changed the dynamics in the, in the U.S. M&A landscape? You know, has that freed things up? And then the other thing, what are you hearing about, um, you know, the assets that will have to be sold, you know, as they put the two organizations together? 
you know, from an antitrust perspective? Like, are those are you seeing those assets yet, or if you can just give us an update on what you're seeing from your perspective? Yeah. So, in terms of the dynamics of the market, um, you know, again, the market's very fragmented, and we are still seeing good opportunities and good value in the markets that we operate in. Um, you know, I would say with regard to, you know, potential, um, you know, the, the acquirer 7-Eleven having spin-off potential sites, um, you know, we, we do believe they're in the market. You know, we don't comment on specific processes, but, you know, certainly expect to see those transactions over the next while. Okay, that's all I have. Thank you. Your next question comes from Vishal Shradar with National Bank. Please go ahead. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, on the uh, in the Canada section in the disclosure material, uh, management notes that economic activity improved through the quarter, um, which I presume implies that the business trends improved through the quarter. It, it also indicated that uh, it seemed positive trends at the end of September. So. Um, you know that that uh, roughly coincides with a little bit of an increase in in the COVID cases. So I'm just wondering, um, you know, last quarter you did give us some indications, more discrete indications on how the businesses are performing, and with COVID ramping back up in this uh, commentary in the in the uh, in the disclosure, I'm wondering if you can give us a taste of how the second wave impacted, particularly the Canada segment. Yeah, you know, it it, you know, I would say look, uh, um, you know, volume. Are, are slightly down on a year-over-year basis. Um, you know, I would say that the impact of of the second wave, um, you know, at this point is fairly minimal in the business. You know, we continue to see the same dynamics where the uh, you know any decline is offset through margin and cost at this point. So. Um, you know, not seeing a, a massive slowdown like we saw in March and April. Um, you know what? You know what we're seeing is on a very localized, micro market basis. You know there are specific impacts, but uh, you know overall, we don't see any material impact to the business, and there is this natural offset between margin and cost. Okay. Um, okay. Thank you for that. And uh, with respect to your uh, efficiency and cost savings, uh, I guess a big topic uh, in this quarter, and I know you've called out that 50 to 70 earlier, and I understand it's early days, um, but wondering um, if you're able to quantify to what degree you were able to capture any of those savings in this current quarter. Well, they would be within in the quarter. I mean, look, we are going to have to add costs back into the business as activity comes up, and particularly as we start to reinvest in our our initiatives, which you can see have added tremendous value. You know, whether that's our digital initiative, our our loyalty program, or our uh, you know our organic growth, which does require some cost to, to execute. So you will see some of those costs come back, you know, particularly on the, the fixed side. Um, but you know, we have found efficiencies on the system side where we continue to execute effectively across our business and, and strengthen our platform, and uh, and and then certainly on the operating side, the team there has been able to uh, again find some efficiencies which will persist going forward. But those would be within the current. Um, quarter. Okay. And um, lastly, with respect to um, the impact of COVID-19 on, on longer-term decisions that management may make with, uh, with respect to, uh, you know, investment planning and, and CapEx and so on and so forth, it does seem like um, it does seem like there will be some lasting changes for the consumer, even if COVID uh, gets better, perhaps work from home sticks, uh, perhaps um, you know, uh, there are different elements that, that stay around. Wondering if, if this changes the view of, of any of the elements that you've talked about, even on the margin, or acquisitions more on the floor or less so, are you willing to pay more or less, or is it, what, what I'm gathering from you, it seems like business as usual. Um, you, you know, I know you've done a lot of work on the cost and CapEx side, but with respect to the plans looking forward, it seems like business as usual. Is that a fair characterization? 
Yeah, you know, what we've said is our our, our sort of uh, investment thesis remains intact in terms of uh, our, our plans to deploy capital and our M&A thesis. Um, you know, have, have things shifted around for sure. I mean, look, there are certain, and it's hard to predict ultimately how, you know, once, uh, um, you know, once vaccination is in place or, or, or certainly more rapid testing, how the consumer responds and how their behaviors change. Um, you know, there's certainly some impacts of COVID that we would have never predicted in terms of, you know, our convenience channel and, you know, some of our other channels and how resilient they've been through this. Um, you know, on the, on the demand side, I think it's early to tell whether there'll be structural impairment in, in, in various markets. Again, what we have seen is certain offsets to that that uh, you know continue to persist. So, you know that that that's how we're proceeding going forward. You know the other thing is we're always very careful in how we deploy our capital. Um, you know we do have. If you look at the organic growth side, I mean we've got lots of opportunities that aren't focused in the core urban markets, and you know we've continued to see robust demand and, and activity. Uh, outside of those core urban areas. So, so you know, plenty of opportunities to continue to invest and get great returns. And again, on the M&A side, same thing, you know, particularly in the markets that we're in, in the U.S., the Rocky Mountain, Northern Tier, and Florida, um, you know, we, we've seen, uh, again, demand uh, remain robust and, and, and certainly see good opportunities there to continue to buy very well-run businesses that in our mind, uh, you know, will persist here going forward. Thank you. Your next question comes from Derek DeLay with Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, thanks. Uh, just just one quick one for me. Just in terms of, you know, we've talked a, a decent amount about M&A here today. Um, I'm just wondering what you're seeing in terms of the opportunities that it sounds like the multiples have sort of remained the same, but um, you know, are, are you seeing more opportunities? You know, I get the, the regions where you're looking in, in the U.S. What about in Canada? Is there anything to really do in Canada? Or would, we be, would you be focused more on commercial and propane? I'm just wondering how that sort of plays out. Uh, hi, it's uh, Darren Smart here. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, is, is certainly a priority for us on the M&A front. Uh, but, you know, that being said, we continue to see opportunities in Canada uh, and international as well. So, um, you know, there's, uh, there are opportunities across our business, um, and, uh, uh, which makes for a broad sort of M&A base, if you will. Uh, and they, they do take the, um, the nature of, of um, you know, all of the businesses you've mentioned, so retail, commercial, uh, propane, LPG. And have you seen sort of an increase in, in I don't know, files coming across your uh, your desk as of late, or is the is it pretty stable from what you saw pre-COVID? Uh, it's uh, it's probably busier. Uh, our, our team is is quite busy looking at uh, at opportunities across the business, uh, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, as busy as we've been. Okay, thank you very much. Your next question comes from Elias Foscolos with Industrial Alliance. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. I just have uh, one question. Uh, focusing on Burnaby, and uh, you mentioned co-processing that, that I think of as, as blending, so uh, correct me if I'm incorrect. Is it possible that we can see a step up um, if you're able to co-process, which, which could be uh, you know, increasing output without uh, sort of a capital expansion um, in the long term? or maybe modify product mix uh, a bit? Well, so, so our, our co-processing, you know, we are actually taking biofeedstocks into the refinery and processing them. Um, you know, we, we just went through a turnaround which enabled us to increase the, the throughput of biofeedstocks. You know, the team is currently uh, ramping that up, um, and they've made some very good progress. So, um, you know, in terms of going forward, 
um, you know, in order to increase that, we do need to make some investments on the logistical side to enable, um, we do have some constraints there in terms of handling that uh, we, we have planned and are executing again. And uh, we can continue to ramp that. Um, you know, the next steps will require capital, um, uh, additional capital. You know, it's something that we're evaluating and, you know, certainly uh, um, we'll make sure that any capital investment there is justified by the, the returns that we can get in that facility, which again, look very favorable at this point. So, um, you know, we're really proud of what the team's been able to achieve there. You know, we have uh, great support of uh, the BC government as we continue to be a leader in the space and, you know, certainly uh, put uh, British Columbia and Burnaby on the map as a leader in co-processing in Canada. Great. That, that's it for me. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Thank you very much. Great. Well, well, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for joining and look forward to connecting with you next quarter. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.